Hello and welcome to the Football Battle. As you can probably guess within the first five seconds, this is not Phil or Brendan talking. They have left the lunatics in charge of the asylum this evening and it's me, Steve O'Rourke, uh, presenting. Uh, it's a bit of a, a skeleton crew this evening. It's, it's just uh, Paddy and myself. Paddy, how are you? Yes, not too bad, Steve. Not too bad. Um, happy Monday and another football filled week ahead, which is great. I know, yeah, although I did look at that, we have two days without football this week, which is going to be tough after the the feast of football we've had so far. Um, obviously, uh, this is, I believe, match day 10, but my maths might be wrong. Um, and we had uh, two matches yesterday, five o'clock, or well, four matches, but two groups decided. Uh, group C was the early kickoff. Um, we won't stay too long in this because I think the Netherlands made pretty light work of that group in general. Um, I think they've probably been more impressive than than any of us expected. What do you think? Yeah, like I, th- I think um, Frank de Boer was um, really, really talked down by everyone at the start of the tournament just due to his general feelings at some of his recent club uh, recent club jobs. But and even. I think we touched on it in another pod that uh, Netherlands fans had, fans had paid for a plane to fly over and, you know, encouraging Gabor to ditch this 3-5-2 idea and to, to go with the sort of classic column 4-3-3. But he's stuck through to his guns. He's played his favourite formation and let his wing-backs rampage. And, you know, they're sitting pretty, nine points, score, scoring plenty of goals in the look. They've looked pretty good. Like I've actually uh, been really impla- impressed with the pie. I thought, I think his all round play has been really, really encouraging. And Georgina Wijnaldum has has been excellent, scoring three goals and and that sort of more forward position for Holland. He he really has been such a such a threat. Yeah, I think Liverpool fans will be very much lamenting his absence uh, come come next August because he 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 looks really good and and Memphis Depay as well probably could claim two assists as well as his goal today and I think he's looked uh, he's looked quite good um, this tournament. I think I in the preview pod I I suggested him as a dark horse for top scorer and he's he's there thereabouts depending on how they do kind of in the next two games. But um, I think I just like the way that. There's a player that I think casual observers of football might have written off because of his failure at Man United, and then he's obviously done so well in France um, this year and kind of since he left United that it's great to see him kind of flourishing on the international stage as well. He still feels like a striker who needs like four chances to convert the single one, but you know the Netherlands are creating quite a few, and and the only like bar a five minute like spell against Ukraine in their opening game they they haven't really looked like conceding as well which I think that they'll be happy with um, obviously the other side of that game was North Macedonia and, and, and Goran Pandev was presented with a special Dutch jersey with the number 117 on it to mark his number of caps um, before the start of the game and you know it's nice for a player like him to, to, to kind of get one go at the international stage really um, before retiring but I think North Macedonia can't be overly happy with three losses from three in their first international tournament. I mean, for a while against Austria, it looked like they'd, they'd a really good chance, but their kind of threat petered out, I think, pretty quickly. Yeah, yes, as, as you said, like, they won't be happy with, with three losses, but, you know, to make it has been an achievement. And as we touched on in one of the previous pods, they certainly haven't disgraced themselves. And you're clearly a fan of, of Pandev, who's had a 
pretty remarkable career. It feels like he's been around, you know, mainly mainly Serie A for forever. Um, and as you say, for him to get a major tournament to to sign up his international career is is pretty cool. Yeah, um, and I think the other game in that group is worth touching on as well. Uh, Austria uh, beat Ukraine one um, nil. I think it was it was a fairly comfortable victory for Austria, and I think they've just been fine, haven't they, in this tournament? Like they've just been taking long. Obviously, they got the the win against Nat Mastoni in the opening fixture, but then uh, were fairly hammered by uh, the Netherlands second time out. Um, but they, I, I know you didn't see the game um, at all, but I, see, I think there's a lot of questions um, about this game in the sense that Christoph um, Baumgartner, he, 21-year-old, scored, but 12 minutes after he scored, he was deemed unable to carry on because he picked up a head injury. Um, now, from what I've seen, he went down a couple of times between the head injury and actually being taken off, and you know, after the situation with France the other night, it's it's another one of those situations where UEFA and football they're really well behind rugby in terms of concussion, and it's not a great look for the game at all. No, it's really not. Like, and I suppose we had talked a wee bit on on our uh, sort of babble WhatsApp group a little bit after the the incident in the France game with uh, it was Papard, wasn't it? Um, he he took such a bad fall, and I think I mentioned at the time that I'd been at a, a head injury conference and sort of were talking about spotting head injury particularly in rugby and um, there was a guy from Ulster Rugby there and, and they, have a t- they have a team of guys basically watching these players and how they get up from, from collisions you know if they're stumbling if they're falling like you mentioned that Baumgartner fell a few times before being taken off that just would not happen in rugby and even um, one of the sort of anecdotes that they gave at that conference was that one of the guys that they were looking after um, one of the players, his behaviour changed. So he he was um, he didn't have any of the sort of classical concussion things, but he his behaviour was weird, and that he was sort of waving and giggling up to his family, and you know then they picked that up very quickly. That's odd for him. We're taking him out, um, and it's something that football definitely has to have a look at because you know with 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 challenging for headers, it's only natural that there's going to be head collisions um, and you know, it, it really does need to be to be addressed because it keeps repeatedly happening. Um, and I, I think, you, you know, they've, they've used concussion subs and things or talked about trialling it and it needs to become just a, a feature of the game and have that kind of rolling sub idea that, that rugby has when someone can quickly get taken out, checked out by, by, a, by a doctor or physician or whatever. And if they're cleared, go back in. If they're not, he's out. And it's simple as that. Yeah, it's so simple, and like, there's so many sports that have independent spotters in the crowd that just pull players, and like after the game, he he told the, the Austrian broadcaster that um his head really hurt, he can't comprehend at all anything that happened, just not a great look. But look, I think it, if it happens in such a high profile way, you'd hope that it will have um, an impact off the field, and football will eventually eventually get there their house in order when it comes to concussions but doesn't look like it's han- happening anytime soon um, in the later games in the 8 o'clock games you and I watched two very different games in the interest of uh, in the interest of having a, a good spread of opinions on this podcast um, just briefly on Belgium and Finland uh, it's it, Belgium got a win 2-0 but it seemed as if they made a hard work of it 
Yeah, it, it took them a while to make the breakthrough, but um, you know, in reality, Finland offered very, very little. But Pookie didn't look so sharp. I don't know if he's carrying a bit of a knock. He, there's a couple of chances he maybe could have could have had a dig, and he was very quite unselfish uh, a few times. But yeah, I think Finland are are a limited side, and you know, would have done well to to make a good show of it and and, and gain an early victory in the competition. But Belgium really never had to really get out of a low gear. Um, it was surprising that they did pick a few, you know, of their their top guys. They got De Bruyne and and Aiden Hazard starting, and that's encouraging. That suggests that they're sort of working back up to full fitness, and they have some more minutes in the legs. And then they played Lukaku as well, and um, even though they were already through, but you know, as we all know, it's great when forwards are on a run. And it's difficult to take them out, so they're hoping that momentum will hopefully continue for Lukaku. Sort of widespread changes uh, within the back three and the. They've brought in Master Chadley, who just seems to turn up at every major tournament. Um, and they the started Doku, who um, sort of, you know, flitted in and out, but, you know, he's, he's still not even 20 and he shows real promise, very direct. Um, got a wee bit more joy when him and Hazard switched sides and he went over to the left, but uh, he looks like he'll, he'll, be a, he'll be a very handy player and he's the kind of guy that. I'm sure there'll be some Premier League clubs having a having a glance across and, and, and seeing if they might take them across the channel. But um yeah, I think Belgium were, you know, comfortable without being convincing, but they never really had to be that good. Um and just the fact that they can make so many changes and, and win the game really shows that they they are quite a good side. That being said, I think they had a fairly weak group. Mm. It, it's I I sense that the first Lukaku goal, the, the offside, um, it looked a really tight and, if not, like bizarre decision to rule that one out. It was very, very tight, but i got to say, whenever I saw it, just to the naked eye, when you're watching it, it's like, he looks off. And then whatever freeze frame they showed, even before the VAR check, his foot looked off. So it was very, very marginal. Um, it well, it looks like it was the right decision, but very, very tight. I think Lukaku was absolutely gutted. Uh, you could see his face just drop when it was ruled out because he's he's clearly gunning for this top boot or golden boot again, which which you called Steve as well. That you know because it was such a weak group, he would be a very good shout, and it's proved to be the case. But you know he eventually did uh, did get his goal. So um, yeah, he's looking looking very pretty, and I'm sure he's probably still favourite or favourite with the bookies now to. To, uh, to finish as the golden boot yeah I think so uh, and the other game was obviously a, a, a very emotional game for Denmark they looking for the first win in the tournament and after everything as everyone listening to this podcast knows what Denmark has been through in this for a long long time it looked as if the occasion was going to get to them for the first 35 minutes or so there was a lot of huffing and puffing but not much of it in the way of breakthrough and then Mikhail Damsgaard stepped up with an absolute worldly um, from about 25 yards out to kind of score the game's opening goal and because of the situation with Russia needing a win as well that opened the Russians up uh, Yusuf Paulson took advantage of the most horrendous back pass you will probably Probably ever see in your life uh, to to get um, Denmark second. A very very dodgy penalty um, got Russia back into the game at two one, and it did look because at the same time 
Lukaku's opening goal, or what looked like the only goal was ruled out, so it looked as if everything that could go against Denmark was going against them. But then at the end, Andreas Christensen and Anjaka Male made it fairly comfortable for them in a 4-1 win. I think, given what we saw, how they played for the opening 45 minutes against Belgium, um, how they played for most of the game, to be fair, even without Christian Eriksen against Finland, I thought they were on the front foot for most of those games. It's probably... It's it's the right reward for Denmark to to qualify for the last sixteen. I think given every a everything they've been through, but also they've actually played quite good football as well. Yeah, oh, it's great to see them through, and you know, especially given everything that's happened. But I think they were we touched on in our preview. I think that they were by far and away the second best team in the group even before it started, and I think probably deservedly have have made it through. It looked like a very you know emotional again atmosphere in Copenhagen, and to see like. What looked like pretty much a full crowd was class. Like you were just seeing, like whenever Christensen's, I think it's fair to call that one a thunder bastard hit the net. Like you just saw the pints flying, and it just, it just you couldn't help but put a smile on your face to see proper euphoria at football again. So fair play to them, and um, you know they've got Wales now in the next round, which. Uh, as you were mentioning, both of them will, will, will probably fancy their chances. That could be a really good game. Yeah, I really think that like both of those teams will probably consider that okay, that's our chance to get into the, the quarterfinals because it uh, they both play an open style of football as well. So I think we could have goals in that game, and it's one of the two confirmed games we do have. Um, we have Italy and Austria. We know is definitely happening, and we now know that Wales and Denmark will play each other as well. There's still a lot that could be decided. We'll get on to previewing tomorrow night's games first, but I think it's worth just. Just doing a state of play as things stand. So in Group A, Italy, Wales and Switzerland have all qualified. In B, Belgium and Denmark are true. In C, it's Netherlands and Austria. And because of the way the results fell today, we know the Czech Republic and England are true from Group D. We know that Sweden is, are, are true from Group B. And we know that France are guaranteed a place in the last 16 in Group F. So it's... It's all to play for for Scotland. Um, there's definitely still a chance for them to get through because of that point they got against England. Four points will 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 get them a third place qualifier spot. So you know that's there's there's the the, the chance to go up against Croatia. Obviously, the Croatia that we know from from the World Cup three years ago isn't the Croatia that has appeared at this tournament. So, Scots fans, even with the absence of Billy Gilmore due to a positive COVID test, will. Well, fancy the chance if you'd offered them this chance to start the tournament win and you're in, they they probably have taken it. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. Um, uh, as you say, Croatia aren't the side they were three years ago at, uh, at the World Cup. Um, you know, some of their better players have, you know, uh, haven't got any younger as you wouldn't after three years, but they're really showing signs of creaking. And um, I think Scotland do have a chance there. I think uh, I I would have fancied Scotland to to make. You know, to, to maybe be more likely to get something from the first game against the Czechs, which didn't prove right. Um, but a very credible point against England. And yeah, I, th- I think they can definitely trouble Croatia. Um, I thought it was very positive for them to start two forwards against England. Um, both very sort of physical forwards. Maybe Adams is slightly more mobile than Dykes, but um, I think they have some very nice technical players in midfield. And whoever comes in for Gilmore whether that be McGregor sort of keeping a spot or something like that, um, I, I really think they could they can trouble them. Um, so that'll be that'll be a great one to watch. I'm really looking forward to that game. 
Yeah, I think I think that's probably going to be the game of the evening because there's a little bit, there's a little bit of like mathematics going on in the other game where neither England nor the Czech Republic really want to win that group. Um and it's it's and that's kind of making making it a little that little bit more exciting in the sense that like because and they're they're going to have to wait then on on results to to see what will happen. So I think um I think Scotland will fancy their chance. I think Croatia, like despite you know their their draw against the Czech Republic, I think they've been really poor. I think they've been one of the poorer teams in this. Uh, not quite as bad as Turkey. I think that they were by far in terms of teams that had like hopes going into this tournament. I think Turkey had the biggest disappointment, but Croatia just looks an old team. Um, and if Scotland can play with the intensity that they matched England with the other night, I think they're in. They're in with a really good shout. As I said, the other game in that group, and um, both those games kick off at eight o'clock uh, this evening. If you're listening uh, in the morning time, um, is England against the Czech Republic? I think uh, England have been underwhelming. Um, some would, if you're being really kind, you would say, well, they're doing just enough, and a draw against Scotland absolutely suit with them the other night. Um, but they look. They look a team that's carrying a couple of players who have really struggling with form, and they also seem to struggle to break down any sort of team that play five at the back and really kind of contain any balls down the channels. It's it's it. They seem a bit predictable. I think is the word that keeps coming to mind when I think about England so far. Yeah, I think predictable is a great word actually, Steve. Um, I think they should just play to their bloody strengths. Like their better players are are forward players and. I think Jurgen Klinsmann was in the BBC there earlier on and, and his phrase was, why don't they just unleash the Mustangs? So, like, why don't, why don't they just, you know, stop playing a double pivot and actually throw caution to the wind a wee bit? Because, you know, they really, if they put out some of these forward players, whether it be Rashford or Sancho or Grealish or, or a combination of all of those guys with Kane supplementing it, then, you know, just fucking go for it, you know, and it just seems so negative and, you know, English media, you know, generally you're never really as 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 good as you think you are after a victory and never as bad as you think you are after a bad result, but English media just has just black and white, you know, it's like you're either top of the world after a 1-0 win against Croatia, which wasn't even that convincing, or after that 0-0 with Scotland, it just seems like everyone's on their back again, like, it's uh it's it's such such a strange national side. Um so it'll be interesting to see how, how they get on. I, I hope well, I don't hope England win because I hope they get gubbed. But if I was an England fan, I would hope that they would play some, you know, a more attack minded game and really take the game to the Czechs who, you know, are no world beaters. Um but interestingly I heard a good stat on a podcast I listened to this morning, uh, and it's England's record on BBC and ITV. They've won like 15 of their last 22 games at major tournaments on BBC, but four out of their last 24 on ITV. And okay. tomorrow is tomorrow or tonight, whenever you're watching it, is actually on ITV. So that might that might put a little dent in their hopes. <laughs> That's a mad quirk. That is really it's, un- it's unbelievable, isn't it? You know, yeah, like different you, channels. Yeah, you you would expect it to be like. Uh, a coin flip really and, and no difference between the two at all but that's that's really interesting um, I, I agree with you I think they're not playing to the strengths I think they're playing to 
Gareth Southgate's idea of what tournament football should be, rather than actually just finding your best 11 and using those creative players to unlock uh, defences. It's like, there's that, there's that clip, it was doing the rounds, was viral because of uh, Raheem Sterling's failure to pass to Reese James when he was wide open and then just giving the ball away and diving. And that summed it up. It's that lack of, okay, phases. Like, you know, going back to that rugby idea of you don't have to, not everything has to be necessarily, uh, you know, putting the ball into the box at your first attempt. You can build up. We saw that, like, work really well for for Germany against Portugal, for example, whereby they kind of, their initial attacks were kind of blunted because Portugal were that little bit faster than them on the defensive side. But they were willing to hold on to possession. They didn't just give it away. And they just built and built from there. And I think England could learn a lesson from how um, Germany played Portugal in particular. I think the, the, the really, I'm just looking at the, I think it's worth reiterating what could happen in this group because really, really anything could happen. So first place, and you're going to face one of Portugal, Germany, France, or Hungary because of Hungary's draw with uh, with France. We can't rule them out just yet. So first place is a bit of a poison chalice, I think, in that group. If you go through as runner-up, you're uh, going to face the runners-up from Group E. So that can be any one of Spain, Sweden, Poland, or Slovakia. Um, and if England or Scotland go through as as third-place team, or it's actually even it is even possible for England to go through as a third-place team, um, they'd face the Netherlands. Um, which or sorry, either the Netherlands or the winners of Group D, depending on results. So Group E is Sweden, Slovakia, and Spain. Um, so there's a huge amount still to be decided in this group, and and I think this this the risk of playing for second place might be like and and taking a draw or in England's case, you know, it's Spain could find form. Uh, we know that Sweden can be dangerous, so like it's. I think there's nothing to kind of say, oh, let's just sit back and wait for a draw in this game. I think England and, and, uh, Czech Republic will both have to go for a win to, um, to kind of guarantee, even though top spot is a poison chalice, it's like, there's no guarantee of an easy game in second place either. Exactly. I think you just gotta go out and try and win the game and, and, you know, use it as a bit of a springboard to, to get a bit of confidence and, and, and push momentum. You know, if England, which I expect England to beat Czech Republic and, and pop the group, if they then play, whoever from the group of death, you know, they're going to need to play a decent team at some stage. Um, they may as well play them now. And if, if they win that, you know, the, the route will be a lot more favourable for them. Um, and also if they win their group, you know, it's looking like they'll play a lot of their games uh, at, at at Wembley. I think even their, their quarter might be at Wembley um, if they win that group and then go into that sort of section. Uh, and the round 16 in Rome. Is that right, if you talk about That's it? That's it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it's a good incentive for them to potentially have a home quarter final as well as, well, as it stands, a home semi and a home final if they make it. Yeah, but we won't yeah, touch like, on... Yeah, go on, sorry, Patrick. I was going to say, like, you know, at major tournaments, any time they've come up against anyone good in my lifetime, they lose. You know, like, you, you just go through it. You know, uh, 96, obviously, with, with, with Germany, they sort of scrape through um, a penalty shooter against Spain, 98, the penalties against Argentina, round of 16, gone. Euro 2000, not through the group stages. 2002, Ronaldinho's free kick, basically the first decent team they played. 
you know, you can just go on and on and on. They don't win big games in tournaments. Like, they're, they're really not as good as they think they are and they never really have been. But um, if they can't do it now with, you know, the Premier League is, is just full of, you know, world-class players that can drive a lot of these English guys on. You see how many of them that were part of the Europa League and, and Champions League finals in recent seasons. Basically, a home tournament, they should be fucking nailing this, you know. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens tomorrow because I think if they sort of dribble out of the tournament, um, I think Southgate's goodwill from 2018 might quickly diminish. Yeah, I I completely agree. And it's funny that we all came into this tournament talking about how England as an attacking force were, un- were, were pretty much up there with every other team and it could be the defensive side of things, especially the goalkeeper that could let them down. One goal it scored and none conceded in two games kind of says that there's something not right in that camp and whether they get right. And you're right, like, you know, I hate to use a wrestling term, but Ric Flair used to always say, to be the best, you have to beat the best. And England just never do that. They just never do that. And mm-hmm. they've, them. they've never done it in my lifetime at all. So um, I think regardless of who they get in the last 16, I think they're in trouble. Um, and I think that, like, the only thing that could help them is to build a bit of momentum with a win tomorrow night and top that group. And, like, look, if you get Portugal in the next round or Germany, you'd fancy either of them, to be fair. Like, I mean, they both have their weaknesses. I think France obviously slipped up against Hungary, but I think that was as much to do with playing in a 60,000-capacity stadium uh, against a very, very hostile crowd as it was... Um, France being in trouble in this tournament. I still think France are above the rest. So, but look, it's still all to play for. Um, and you know, just it, it's nice that UEFA have given us 8 p.m. kickoffs as, as as opposed to 5 p.m. kickoffs as they they did on Sunday. So, um, something to look forward to this evening if you're if you're listening to this podcast in the morning. And then obviously we will be back again uh, to talk through the results of those games, um, as well as previewing. The final round of matches, which involves Sweden versus Poland, Slovakia versus Spain, and then in the group of death, Portugal versus France, which Portugal is going to turn up, and Germany versus Hungary. So still loads to play for. Uh, Patrick, I actually do know the uh, the Patreon link. It's patreon.com <laughs> forward slash football babble. There we go. Um, you know, um, and if you go there, you'll see the four lads and no picture of me because I refused to provide my picture to Brendan to actually put it on <laughs> podcast cover. We need, um, we need your picture. I, well, I did supply one, but I thought it wasn't good enough. I think in my in honor of Denmark, it could go on this evening because I was wearing a Viking hat. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe the Viking hat. You would bring an, an exotic edge to us, like just because you're closer to the equator and you know you're just uh, you're with palm trees and stuff down south. Oh, you know, and as Phil would have you believe, I sound like a leprechaun as well compared to your ghost <laughs> northern tones. So, look, listen, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. We've, we've, we've felt the love over the course of, of Euro 2020 so far. The comments on Twitter and Instagram and, and just in general, I know like JD was saying he was out the other night and he heard people talking about the, or he was talking to people about the podcast and they were talking about it. So that's, that's, that's great to hear. It's why we, why we do it. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening and be sure to tune in tomorrow for the next edition of the Football Babble.